Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and we have another Twitter Space episode for you this week. We talked about cars and car payments. We were joined by Jesse from The Best Interest and Leandra as well, or female in finance. We had a really good time, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Wealth Wednesday. It is about nine o'clock Eastern, which we do every week. So we're going to kick it off now. Just a little bit of housekeeping up front. This will be recorded and will be posted on the Adulting is Easy podcast feed in a few days. We're going to go for about 90 minutes or so. We'll see. I could see us being done in an hour with this, or I could see it taking a lot longer. We'll go with the panel really quickly. We'll talk through kind of our thoughts on cars, car payments, leases, all of the above. And then we'll open it up to kind of questions, comments, anecdotes, and things like that as well. That sound good for everybody? Show me an emoji. Woohoo. Good. All right, cool. So should we do, I guess maybe we'll just, we'll just jump in. Steven, I think I think you have to go first because I think you have some atoning to do to money Twitter about your uh, about your car situation. Well, so what? How? What? How? What? <laughs> what? What? What car? What cars do you have? Do you own okay. them? Did you finance them? What's the deal? Okay. Yeah. No, okay. I got gotcha. you. So I'm getting yeah. Prepare to get your pitchforks out and get ready to skewer me. I am the worst person when it comes with cars. I have two vehicles. I have a 2019 Highlander and I also have a 2021 F-150. Both of them are leased. Uh, I want, and my thinking behind that is I want good, reliable cars that I don't have to worry about. I can, you know, they're fully under warranty. They're always going to be up and running and good to go. I need the truck for a couple of things, such as home renovation projects that we do, and also for pulling a trailer that we have as a family and then we go camping during the summer. I do try to take advantage of some tax benefits with the lease on the truck where uh, it's under a corporation and we're able to write off the entire uh, payment each month. On that, I pay uh, $680.94 a month for the truck and 582 a month on the Highlander. So roughly, let's call it $1,200 a month that I'm spending on vehicles. And I know money Twitter is going to say, oh, you know, you're banished or that's not good. But I just, I value good, reliable transportation that I don't have to worry about. I have had beaters in the past and were nothing but problems in and out of mechanic shops and ended up costing me a lot in the long run. And so the peace of mind of having a good, a good reliable car, I put a lot of value on that. Uh, so that's kind of my quick and easy breakdown. Lauren, any question or do you want to move on? That makes a lot of sense with the tax benefits. I know that some business owners do that. I used to know, I used to go to school with like a dentist kid and I asked him one day, I'm like, why do you and all of your siblings have SUVs? And he's like, it's the fleet for the dental office. I was like, right on okay that yeah. makes a lot of sense so yeah so that that makes sense are they like can you tell me a little bit more about the leases like how long are they is there a mileage limitation stuff like that yeah good so there is uh there it's a five-year lease on the toyota and a three-year on the ford i got the ford last year during the lockdown i had to wait five months for it to get delivered uh, that was a bit of a pain in the butt but it's just part of the deal with, with waiting and getting a new truck. Uh, 
during the pandemic and what we got going on here. Um, there's three year. It's a three year lease, twenty thousand kilometers. I believe that is twelve thousand miles a year. Uh, and I don't have any problem staying under the limits on either one. We're well under on both. And then that helps out at the back end when you turn them back in. If you're under the limits and it's in good condition, there's usually an equity position in in the vehicle. I, you know, what I'm trying to say is they'll say the buyout's $30,000, but the vehicle's worth 34000 because it's in good condition with low miles. And it's super easy to, to roll it into the next... Uh, into the next new new vehicle there so yeah if you're if you're a low mileage driver i think it's a terrific idea and i'm i'm never in the shop i just go in for the regular maintenance and that's it all taken care of you do you even need to like put tires on it <laughs> do, I, do i need to put tires on it what do you mean yeah like like would you need to like do you have to put tires oh, on it or do they do that or tires. yeah like how does that work they're your responsibility, Stephen. <laughs> but I guess yes, if you're only doing like 20 kilometers, you wouldn't 20, need 20, them, right? 20 kilometers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Brakes, um, oil, tires, you know, battery, the wearables, they're all your responsibility. You have to take care of those. It's kind of like a, you're rent, uh, essentially, I'm renting the car from the, from the manufacturer. Okay, got it. And my understanding of lease payments is you're you're basically paying every month for the depreciation on the car. Is that kind of exactly. how it works? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so then when I say there's an equity position at the end, you've overpaid. Uh, the depreciation is is, and I can see Jesse squirrel squirming in his chair, thinking, "Oh, come on, this is not an equity position. That doesn't. That's not how it works, <laughs> man." But yeah, I think he knows what I mean, and I'd be interested if he has any questions or thoughts on that. Yeah, I was going to turn to Jesse next to tell us what your work, your car situation is. Well, I've got a 2012 Toyota RAV4 with 120,000 miles on it. It's a little worse for wear. It's got a little rust. Definitely looks its age. And on the one hand, I do plan on driving it into the ground. On the other hand, my recent career change, all of a sudden... There's a little bit more image involved in the career than, than, you know, I used to be an engineer. Driving an old car is kind of a point of pride. Now I work in wealth management. Most of my clients have cars that don't have rust on their rims. I do have rust on my rims. So it's kind of funny. You know, once in a while, a client will appreciate the fact that I'm driving a rust bucket. But um, there might be a little bit of social pressure for me to change. We'll see what happens, but uh, I'll, I'll just start. I'll, I'll stop there and uh, let people, I see some laughing emojis, so I know I'm, I'm doing the right job, but yeah, any uh, comments on that? So it's a 2012. When did you buy it? In 2012, I bought it new for a 0% loan, 60 months, $24,000. So it was like 400, I don't know, $400 a month for 60 months. And you paid, obviously, you, you paid it out the whole time because it's 0%. Yeah, exactly. I, I took the longest loan I could. And uh, yeah, after five years, it was all mine. Pretty awesome. So what about your fiance? What, is, uh, what does she drive? Oh, she drives a 2006 Chevrolet Trailblazer. It's teal. Uh, the name of the car is Sheila. It's Sheila the Teela Mobila. 
and uh, it's got like 130,000 miles on it, I think. And uh, it's also not in the best shape, and she also plans on uh, driving it into the ground, as far as I know. You guys are very aligned on that. That's good. It is. So, right. We were talking. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm not an expert on relationships, but I think that's I think that's probably probably a good sign. Any questions for Jesse before we uh, turn to Tesla, bro? I have a question for Jesse. Jesse, when you got your car financed at zero percent, do you feel that you got the car at the right price, or do you feel that the zero percent was factored into the price of the car? That's a good question, Leandra. I think. So I should, you know, I'll, I'll be more transparent than maybe I was before. I think the reason why I got the 0% loan, I'm almost sure of it, is that, um, well, there are two reasons. One, Toyota had a deal for new college grads. And the second one was because my dad, uh, co, uh, what's the right word I'm thinking of? Co-signed. Co- co-signed the lease, right? Mm-hmm. Or co-signed the, the yeah. Uh, so, I guess, right, not a lease, but just the loan. Co-signed the loan. Which is, yeah, totally. That's a lucky thing for me. And he has good credit, so I got a 0% loan. Um, I think at the time, we did some pretty heavy Kelly Blue Book uh, research into the car itself. And we got a pretty good price on it. So I think it was one of those situations where we got a better than average price and a phenomenal loan interest rate. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. Gotcha. Okay, I was just curious because... um... My stepdad worked in the car sales industry, and he had explained to me a concept called captive lending. And so he said, like, basically that rather than on your bank papers, seeing like a local bank or a credit union offering the financing, you'll see like Honda Financial or Ford Credit or Toyota Financial. And that's how you know that essentially the automaker is the one that's offering the financing instead. And so the yep. automaker, not the dealership, makes the money on the car itself. Um, but yeah, technically, like, there's no free money or, like, no free loans or free financing. So that's why I was wondering if you felt that you got the right deal for your car um, based on that. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it was a Toyota financial loan. So, so Toyota itself are the ones loaning me the money. Right. Um, and so sometimes they give you an option, right? It would be like you can buy the car for twenty four thousand at zero percent, or you can buy it at twenty two thousand, right? And then you like pay cash or something. Sometimes they actually make it pretty obvious what the difference is. Yeah, sometimes um, I feel like it's not often that they'll give like the two options if they're going to offer the zero percent because they're just so quick to be like, like people see zero percent and they jump at it. Um, but yeah, essentially the the cost of financing gets built into the price of the car. The automaker is the one who makes the money. The dealership is the one who essentially will also make some of the money. And a lot of people just feel really great driving driving off the lot at zero percent. But um, at some, it's built in somewhere. So that's why I was just curious if he had like checked on the pricing of his exact vehicle somewhere else with financing built into it. Sounds like you're telling me I got duped, Leandra. You know, I really do feel that way, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> I can read between the lines. Yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere, though, that the most sought-after used car the last couple of years has been the RAV4. So at least you picked a good one, I think. <laughs> it's, got, it's got everything going for it. 
got a ton of space in the back for activities. Yeah, yeah, my my grandma drives one. Um, Coach Clint, what hey, is up? A question for Jesse. So as you switch careers, you already highlighted a little, but I, I'd love to deep dive it with you. So you show up at your your clients. You, you you've got the older car, fully paid off. But now, if you're in their shoes, are they looking at that and saying, I love it. Like my financial advisor is prudent with their money. Like this is the right way to approach it. Or are they like, is this the guy giving me financial advice? Where do you, where do you think they fall? And how do you think a new car would help you? Or is that just your ego getting in the way? Hey, Clint, they fall on both ends of those spectrum. You're exactly right in that those are two of the most predominant lines of thought that they have. Uh, in general, some of them who maybe are a little bit more, maybe a little more frugal minded, or maybe they understand the economics of car ownership a little bit more. They look at it as a, a pretty pragmatic choice on my part. Those who either aren't as frugal or or maybe they just come from a background that values possessions more or 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 maybe they just have a job or they have life experience where it's like hey you know you kind of need to flaunt your your stuff a little bit i think they definitely do look at it as like huh maybe this guy isn't right for me and and you know in my employer's defense um, it's not like all my coworkers are driving $100,000 BMWs, um, but not many of them have rust on their rims, if that makes sense. They have maybe a three, you know, they're, they're leasing a, a nice average car every three years so that it looks new, it looks nice, it looks clean. And uh, yeah, so right now, I'm not sure if it's my ego or not, Clint. You're making me think about that. I'm uh, I'm going to go on mute now, meditate for a few minutes, and uh, see what my inner child tells me. Well, I think that makes sense, but Jesse, like, realtors are like that a lot, too, I feel like, where realtors have the, like, they, they feel like they need to have kind of nicer cars and stuff like that, because it's like, I, it, I think it insinuates I'm good at my job, sort of, whether that's right or wrong. Correct. Correct. I, I think you're right. Totally right, Lauren. I think it's... It is an, an, an easy exterior signal that the average Jane or Joe can interpret within three seconds. And, and you know, it's the same reason why I wear a suit to work instead of, red, uh, you know, the ratty T-shirt. You know, right now I'm in my underwear and, and a sweatshirt. Sorry if that's too much information. But, you know, I, I don't need to impress you guys with the way I look. I can impress you with this uh, late night radio DJ voice that I have. But if I had to impress you with the way I looked, it would help if I was in a Mercedes Benz in a tuxedo. You know what I'm saying? Too right about the radio voice. Very good. Very good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm being. No. I'm being. I'm being a dick over here. But no, it's, no, no, no. Right. no, it's all good. Up over here, man. Okay, so Jesse, Jesse, while you go and meditate with your with your inner child, what car would you pick? Or what would be your next choice? Now, don't ask her because this is a deep question because you need to kind of weigh the two two sides that you're talking about here. Let's go over to, I think, Lauren, you were saying Tesla Pro. 
Clint. Uh, does, does Clint actually have a Tesla? I don't know why I didn't know that. I think he oh, has two. Um, so, hey, here's the thing about cars the, and, and about life and about asking financial advice and what people should do. And, and Lauren, you'll appreciate because I emphasize this all the time. Don't look at their doing when they've achieved a certain level. Look at what they did on the way there. So uh, I'm going to focus on that part because for most of the life, we only had one car, right? Even uh, we lived 45 to an hour outside of, outside of the city that I worked and I had to either take the train in or I would ride my bike. And it wasn't until I got my job as going to be the CFO that I was, I'm going to say, allowed to get my own car. And what that, because when we, when we go to that, we only had one car. It was, my, it was my wife's truck. And it was a Mitsubishi Outlander at the time. And when I first was going to get a car, side funny story was a lot of people at the company I was at had car allowances. And so I said, you know, Graham, like I'm taking the bus. I'm working super long hours here can I get a car allowance and I'll just get myself like a, a small car? Cause you know, it kind of sucks working 12, 13 hours a day and, and then like taking the bus here. And he was like, you know, let me look into it. And he came back and gave me an updated contract that had a car allowance in it. So I was like, sweet, went out and got a car on the weekend, right? Like maybe I act a little too rash. And then he comes back like a week later and he says, oh, uh, that contract I gave you was wrong. You weren't supposed to get a car allowance. And so I'm like, shit, like I, I already bought a car. This sucks. So I was like, whatever, I'll, it's not that much. Like I'll figure it out. Then fast forward 10 months and our payroll person comes over to me and says, and, and you guys will remember I've, I've said on the show, like I haven't looked at a pay stub in probably 20 years. And so she says, hey, Clint, for the last 10 months, we've been paying you a car allowance, but you weren't supposed to get one. So you owe us $6,000. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, this is bullshit. Like, you guys are the worst employers ever. Like, that's like double, triple bait and switch. Anyway, so that car was a Ford Fiat. Uh, so it was a pretty cool car to boot around in, but I, uh, upgraded to that when I got promoted and, uh, to Jesse, to Jesse's, uh, car that he mentioned, I switched to a Mercedes. I got a pretty good deal on one that had like three or 4,000 kilometers on it. So I got a pretty significant discount on it. And, and then my wife had driven her outlander for about 11 years. And so she, uh, we sold that to my brother for, for a pretty low price. Uh, he's not as financially well off as, as we are. And she got herself a Model Y. And so right now we only have one car payment. My car is fully paid off. And we have the payment on her Model Y. It's pretty good interest rate. And I think the way we've looked at it is uh, we'll keep each car that we have for about 10 years. And what that does is it gets us so we only ever have one car payment at a time line. So right now we are paying for her car. 
And then as that gets close to the end, if I feel like I want to upgrade, then I'll get uh, a new car and, and have a payment. Well, she doesn't. And then we own them. The, I mean, it feels kind of silly to get a car for me because my commute to work is like seven minutes. So it's, you know, do I, do I need a car or can I just drive this one for like the next like 20 years? Probably could, but you know, there is a bit of like, I kind of want, and I know it's ego. So I got to do the same meditation Jesse's doing and talk to that inner child and be like, you don't need it. You just want it. But we'll see. We'll see. I think I have three more years before, uh, before, before I get to make that decision. Back to you on any questions on that journey. That car allowance that you have, then don't have, and then we were paying you and you actually have to pay us back because it was a mistake is insane. That is, that is just, that is just wild. I can't, so like, did they then just start deducting your allowance from you or did you have to like cut them a $6,000 check? No, no, they, they let me pay it off over like a period of time. I think they took, I don't know if they took like 600 bucks a paycheck for 10 paychecks or if they just like, I forget what they did because it was like seven years ago, but yeah, it was definitely frustrating. That is wild. And I like though that how you guys started having just like the one car. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've my, my husband and I, since we've both been working from home, have been having this kind of philosophical thought for a couple of years where we're like, do we need two cars and you know my car's four years old I bought it with 900 miles and it has like 25,000 on it now like you know my my husband's forerunner for sure could have absorbed those miles you know but it's it's just kind of it's just kind of interesting to think about so I, I love that you did that for a while and I think it's okay I, we talk about this all the time I think it's okay to kind of start frugal and then treat yourself a little bit once you lay your financial foundation. So I think it's, I think it's amazing. You've got a Mercedes and a Tesla and I think it's awesome. You, you guys had a Mitsubishi that you shared for 10 years. Yeah. And I'd go even longer than that. Right. Because when we were, when we were in, we've been together now for 27 years. So there was a period of time there where we each had our own vehicle because we were in different colleges and commuting to see each other. Right. But once we moved in with each other, we sold our two cars, bought a joint car together, and that was probably Lauren 22-ish. And from 22 to 35, we only ever had one car. So we went about 13 years with one car uh, together. So pretty much our entire working career, uh, I'd say we did not have a second car until we became millionaires. So it was up until then, it was one car family. That's interesting. Kind of the net worth milestone there. Very cool. Any questions for Clint or should we go over to Leandra and talk about cars with her? So Leandra, you've already offered some amazing nuggets. It's really nice to talk with you. I know we've never really met before. Do you want to give us your take on on kind of cars? And I guess you can go about it however you want, how you think it should be done, how you're doing it now, kind of whatever direction you want to go with it. Sure. Nice to meet you too. I know we haven't chatted before, but uh, I'll start with what I drive. I bought a 2017 Jaguar F-Pace and I actually bought it from 
um, a dealership who buys their cars from auctions. And the reason I chose that is because I looked for a dealership that wants to go through their cars really quickly. So they want to sell them and earn less per car, but go through quantity. And so I kind of researched dealerships that worked that way. And I happened to find one in Oregon where I was living at the time. And so they basically bought cars at auctions and they only upped them about $5,000. So you can't really negotiate on price, but you get a really good deal on fairly new vehicles. So my car, MSRP of the girl who bought it and sold it to the auction, she bought it for just under $80,000. It was like $79,900. And the guys at the dealership bought it at the auction for about $54,000 and then sold it to me for $59,900. So that's how I, I've chosen to buy my cars is from places who buy them from auctions. Very weird, but I think I only learned that because... My stepdad had worked in a, a car dealership and kind of knew some things and taught me some things when I was younger. Um, so that's how I've purchased my cars. I also probably have some hot takes on leasing versus buying. Um, I know that there's like a lot of tax write-offs for people who own businesses. Um, but if you don't have a tax write-off, then I like actually have no idea why people lease cars. I know that some people are like, oh, well, I want to buy, I want to drive a new car every year. And it's like, great, if you want that, then you're definitely flushing money down the toilet and like do your thing if that's what you want to do. But for me, I'm someone who finds that ultimately the cheapest way to drive is to buy a car and keep it until it's completely uneconomical to repair. And a lot of the arguments around leasing are that um, they say like, oh, well, they take care of the car like and maintain it for you. But like, do people forget that you have a warranty, too, when you buy a car? Like, there's a five-year warranty. So even if you buy, like, a two-year-old car, you still have three years of it being in warranty. And so I always get really confused when people bring up that argument because the warranty covers everything. It's incredible. So it, And so does the lease for the three years that pe most people lease their cars for. So when people lease, I always get a little confused because... I don't see the benefit unless you are a business owner and I don't even, I'm a business owner and I don't even lease my cars. Um, so I would love to know if someone has like what that tax write off is and if it's actually more beneficial to lease it under your business name and get a write off than it is to drive your car to the grave. Like I, the mathematically I'm someone who I will always follow the numbers. So if the numbers don't make sense, then I won't, I won't touch it. But for me, I've never found a situation where leasing makes sense mathematically. And even in the like FTC disclosure, like when you lease a car, like they're even telling you that you're essentially renting a car and that it's not taken out as a debt. Um, so like when people lease their cars, I also wonder if those same people rent their phones, like if they do their iPhone trade trade-ins all the time and, and change their phone out every year, if, if, if there's some sort of correlation between people who lease their cars and put their phones on payment plans. Um, but yeah, I guess I have some hot takes on cars a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's a good point. I, I mean, I guess if you, if you're going to buy a car new and drive it for three years and then sell it, maybe it's very similar because if they get the lease right, which they probably do, then they, you pay the depreciation as a lease for three years 
and mm-hmm. you would be taking the depreciation off if you sell it in three years. But so maybe there's like kind of one break even point, but anything beyond that, and like you said, without tax benefits, I can't imagine it kind of tilts that way. But it looks like Jesse has a comment. Yeah, was, oh, one more thing just to, before Jesse, um, I was going to say with, with what you mentioned of selling it or like if you were to lease it for, for three years versus selling, like private, privately selling, you can sell it for higher than what the car company is going to reset, like what they're going to end up selling it anyways, and they're going to earn a profit. So there's a reason that they push leases. Um, They make more money off of it or else they wouldn't do it. They like entice you with a lower payment and then they go and resell it after three years, as long as they don't like, you know, ding you for anything extra, whether that's overage and mileage or any sort of damage that they consider to be damaged to their car, which is up to their discretion as well. Um, So for me, it's like, why not own it for three years? If you want a new car every three years, privately sell it and you will always out earn than what you would do leasing, at least from my like at least from like what I know, my own knowledge. But yeah, I'm curious, Jesse, what you think? Yeah, so I've got just a little bit of, I'm not sure if I would call it, it's more than anecdotal data. It's not quite uh, scientific data. It's somewhere in between. Um, I wrote this article, I think it was October 2020. So it was before all these supply chain issues. So some of the data in there is a little um, pre-inflation. But the article is all about the cost of car ownership. And if it makes anybody out there feel better, um, the Animal Spirits guys, if you know Ben Carlson and Michael Batnick, they actually, they use my article in in some of their blog posts and on their podcasts when they want to talk about car prices or the, the cost of car ownership, including the lease versus buy debate. They've had it and they use some of my data. So you're right, Leandra, that right leasing is absolutely more expensive. Um, for the average American car lease, it costs about 51 cents per mile driven, whereas the average new car driven into the ground costs about 45 cents per mile driven. So 51 cents for the lease, 45 cents for the new car per mile. Um, you know, obviously leasing has this benefit, which is catastrophic maintenance is taken care of. Um, you get to get a new car every three years. And the one thing that you just said there, Leandra, which was, well, couldn't you just buy a new car and then sell it after three years and kind of keep doing that rather than leasing every three years? You might be able to. Um, but in general, at least before the most recent, like weird used car price scenarios that we've been seeing the last year, the first couple y- uh, years are the most expensive years to own a car. That depreciation off the lot and the depreciation in the first year um, are very expensive. And uh, so the first three years, let's see, the average price of driving a car is somewhere around 50 or 55 cents. It drops off after that when the depreciation matters a little bit less. Um, so that's all. I mean, all I'm trying to say, Leandra, you are totally right. Buying a car is more economical than leasing one. Uh, it's probably always going to be that way. But if someone doesn't want to have to put up with the fact that eventually they'll have a 12 year old rust bucket like me. Well then the, the extra 11 or 12% premium for leasing might make sense for them. Do you still think that even though they could just sell the car and buy something new? 
So the question is, what's the difference between the price that you bought the car at and the price that you're selling it at three years later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've right. just always found that to be a better number. I guess like my mom is someone who does that. She always likes having new cars. Um, I don't care as much, but she does. And so every three years she buys and sells and she's always come out on top, but maybe that's not always the case. And my mom is also a very good saleswoman, so she can sell the car for what a dealership tells her she'll never get for it. And she always does. Um, so maybe she's just very good at it, but yeah, I haven't, I've yet to see like where still like not buying new and then selling it on your own doesn't do better than leasing. Sure. Sure. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying and it really is. I mean, the biggest variable in the equation is what was the price of the new car? What price did you get when you sold it three years later versus what was the monthly term on your, on your lease or what was the monthly payment on your lease? Um, if you're, if you're not, I mean, if, if a person gets a great deal when they buy and they're an excellent salesman and they get a good deal when they sell, I'm sure they're going to just trounce the lease and, and on average, um, but, but they might not, I, I think it just really depends on those, on those numbers. I'll stop there. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. An important part too, though, Leander, with the, with the lease is I can buy, the vehicle at the end of the lease and flip it. Like I can, so I can buy the truck for 30 and go and sell it for 38 or 36 or whatever the market is. So where I'm going with that line of thinking is uh, it would be curious. I'd be curious if your mom or your, sorry, if your mother negotiated a good purchase price for the vehicle, leased it, and then at the end bought it and then flipped it herself and then redid the lease after that, uh, perhaps the numbers would be really close. Yeah, that's cool. true. I just I think that would come down to like what the um, what the dealership is offering to sell it to you for, which they're obviously gonna want to make yeah. a ch- yeah, their chunk like, of change on that part. Yeah, because if you just went in and said, "Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll sign the dotted line. There's my monthly payment." 750 700 500 whatever the thing is and you don't really try and negotiate the purchase price of the underlying asset and then at the end you just hand them back the keys and say i want to walk out of here yeah you're gonna get taken to the coals like every time because they're 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 getting you on both ends and yeah i think one of the most important parts of the lease agreement is negotiating the purchase price of the underlying uh vehicle Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. All good. All good. I hadn't thought about that at the end. I've never leased, but you're right. You do kind of get the option to buy yeah, at the I, end, so that's I, interesting. Because they always want to talk about the payment, and I try and get them away from that as quick as possible, and I talk to them only about the purchase price of the vehicle, and then we'll talk about the lease agreement after. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's an excellent point. They, I mean, most people, when they walk into a dealership, whether they're buying or leasing or whatever they're going to be payment shopping. So that, that does definitely happen really quickly. Um, so we've had speaking requests. We had uh, Jared asked to speak. So I'm going to go to him next. And Tom, I know you had your hand raised. And then Carla will go to you after that. Hey, so uh, so I was just going to chime in on the lease thing because uh, I work for Toyota. And if, if any of you didn't know that, uh, one of the manufacturing plants here, we built the Corolla. So uh, I, I watch it 
stamped out in the press shop all the way to assembly. And, um, and one of the options that we have uh, as employees is a, a lease program uh, up in the uh, level where I'm at anyway. And, I mean, you get to build the vehicle out. I mean, any Toyota or Lexus, uh, you build it out completely to your liking, you know, all the specs. Um, and, and one of the things that happens when you go and create the vehicle and when you add more options, the, the lease payment and it depends on what the option is, but but you uh, that you the payment goes down the more you add to it, which it sounds kind of crazy, but it goes back to they're wanting to sell that vehicle once the lease is over, and they're and they're wanting a a more uh, specced out vehicle to sell so they can essentially flip it for more money. So, um, and I've not done this yet. I've always you know I've, everybody knows that you know i've got a corolla with three hundred fifty thousand miles and i plan on driving it till the wheels fall off but but I've, i'm tempted to do this uh just because steve what you said is, is a lot of people here especially in upper management they will lease these like completely loaded out tundras uh like uh the uh, 1794 tundras and then they'll turn around and flip it uh once the lease is up and then they make a little bit off of that, but I don't know. I've been very leery of that because I'm, you know, I'm always the the guy preaching, uh, paying for used cars and all that. But it's it's just very enticing being that I'm around it all the time. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm just interested in your all's take on that. And also too, I'll add that they pay for all the maintenance, even the insurance. Um, Basically, the only expense I'll have is gas. So, uh, being that that's a, a unique situation that I work for for them, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just interested in your all's take on that. Is that something that you all would do in my situation, or is it something that you would avoid? Um, you know, me, I'm gonna continue driving my Corolla, but more or less, this will be for my wife. She's been bugging me to death about a forerunner. So <laughs> I'm, I'm needing to somehow justify it where it's uh, mathematically not feasible. So I, I'm needing some help on that. I'll go real quick and then somebody else can jump in. Me personally, I had a car payment one time and I just hated it every month. And I had the payment, it was BMW and it was a 0.9% interest rate so it didn't really make sense to not have it i think like literally my ally account was at like two percent at the time but every month i was miserable seeing that 266 dollars leave my account so i would always rather just pay cash and then not have to think about it every month so i'm just a, a bad example even when the even when the math makes sense it's still i get annoyed at myself for having a car payment so but it sounds like a good deal and just what i know about about car companies in general, but I think specifically Toyota is, I think they do give their employees pretty good deals. Um, also my, let's see, my husband, let's see, my, my uncle's wife's dad, he worked for GM for a long time and we bought a couple of his cars off of him after he drove them for a while. And we got, got great deals because he got great deals initially. So kind of what I know about car companies is probably it's a pretty sweet employee deal, but uh, we'll leave it to the rest of the panel to see if they have any thoughts on on that particular lease program for employees. The only thing I can really add, uh, J. Rod, is I know in the market that I'm in, 
uh, in here in Alberta, Canada, trucks are the number one selling vehicle here. And I think even down in the States, the F-150 is the number one selling vehicle. And there's guys up here that are taking advantage of arbitrage where uh, you can buy an F-150 or a GMC Denali uh 1500 up here fully tricked out has to have all of the options in it uh you drive it for six months and try and get i think it's 12,000 or 16,000 it has to be 10,000 miles so as you so 16,000 kilometers which makes it 10,000 miles if you can get that in six months then at the end of that six month lease, and it's even to the Andrew's point, it is a rental agreement. It's actually not a lease agreement, it's a rental agreement. Uh, at the end of that agreement, you have this option to purchase the truck at a particular price, and then guys are taking it and then they're selling it used down in the States and making fifteen to $20,000. Because demand for trucks in the States is so high and the currency conversion makes it that guys are pocketing 15 to 20 every six months on this thing. Uh, I shy away from it because it's like, oh, I don't know if the truck market flip, because these things are like $108,000, $110,000 trucks. Um, if the market flips, that's a lot of capital to be have tied up in a truck or stuff. So I'm curious, Coach Clint, if you have any take on that or well, no, I heard think of that, that down in Vancouver? I'm not too surprised because even people are doing that with Teslas now, right? So if you were on the wait list and you got your Tesla, people are driving them for a period of time and flipping them at a profit. Like yeah. my buddy just, my buddy just traded in like a two or three year old Tesla and the value that he got back for it was what he, what he was into it for. So it, like after three years, so it was pretty crazy that way. The, the one thing I'd love Steve for you to, fill us all in on relative to your, your truck and your vehicles is how much do you spend per year on windshield repairs and, and how many months of the year do you drive with cracked windshields? <laughs> yes. You like, you know, all of my soft spots, don't you? Um, <laughs> I've been to I've been to your yeah, province and yeah, I have not seen a vehicle. So where, where I have Clint's not coming, seen a vehicle without a cracked windshield. Where Clint's coming from is where I live. Uh, we there's a lot of snow and ice, and so they put a lot of salt and they put a lot of rocks on, or gravel type of thing on the roads to help with traction and keeping the roads safe. But a side effect is that we have a lot of cracked windshields, as you might imagine. Uh, so. Normally, so I knock on wood right now, none of our vehicles have a cracked windshield. But what you'll do is when you have it, you'll get on it right away. If you get a chip, you got to go get it fixed right away because with the cold, heat, cold, heat, cold, it'll expand and crack and ruin your entire windshield. So you get on it right away uh, and then you buy a program where they'll repair the crack for 50 bucks. Or a hundred bucks, I think it is. Uh, yeah, I think it's like a hundred bucks. Then you have it for one whole year if you have another crack on your windshield there. But uh, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah, and especially if you have like these new vehicles or these lease vehicles, you can't turn them in with a cracked windshield because they they ding you hard for that. Especially now with the, you know they got cameras and everything on the uh, like you know lane departure and all these 
you know, adaptive crews, you got to make sure it comes back with a nice clean windshield and they're super expensive. So but th- thanks for uh, pushing on my wound there, uh, uh, Clint, because, yeah, for sure, almost all my buddies have the exact same problem. Of, you get in the truck, you're like, nice truck, man, but I can't see out the, the spider windshield that you got going on here. And it, yeah. Uh, but back to, like, to J-Rod's previous point, um, I mean, I, I would probably do it because you, you have an advantage there as being a Toyota employee. And... Uh, uh, my my intuition is I would take advantage of it, but if it's not your personality, and you're you know you're like no I don't like to have a car payment, then I do what makes you comfortable or what you uh, um, aligns with your investment style and and finance and budgeting and stuff. There's nothing wrong with avoiding it, but my my personality is I would you know I have this advantage in front of me, I would take advantage of it. And, to do it to its fullest extent I'd, I'd probably be like just like one of your colleagues and have the 1794 to Toyota Tundra fully tricked out and leasing it um yeah I'm, this is this is not the spaces for me I, somebody put me up to this and um it's I'm getting put under yeah. the bus on this one but uh, <laughs> we yeah, need you here as a, as a foil to the rest of us <laughs> um, and Jared, Jared, I will never talk you out of a forerunner, by the way. Like, I, I'm obsessed with ours, for sure. Like, if we went down to one car, I promise you it would be the forerunner and not my Accord, hands down. Yeah, they're, they're but, um, and, and my wife is bugging me to death about about getting one. But, uh, yeah, so I appreciate y'all's okay, talk, talk, talk to me about the forerunner on this, because everyone seems to love them, and they have, like, a cult following almost like Apple. What what yeah. in the Tacoma too? Like, yeah. What's the attraction? Well, I'm, of I'm assuming it's it's probably the same chassis. But before we talk about the Forerunner, I do want to talk about the great car. Can we talk about windshields real quick? And you know, I know we have like Tom, who's lived in Ohio and Texas. Jared, you're in Alabama. Jesse, you're in New York. Leander, I don't I don't know what state you're in, but in Florida, if you crack your windshield, you get a new one for free. Lauren, it, it is so bad where he lives, you cannot even get windshield insurance. <laughs> you can. You can get windshield insurance. They sell it. It's just really expensive. <laughs> it's like a th- it's like tornado uh, insurance in yeah, Florida exactly. or what, exactly. whatever, the, whatever that one is. Yeah. It's Hurricane. Thank you very much. And yeah, no, I've cracked my windshield each of the last two years, like in the same spot on the same road on the way to my parents' house. The bummer thing is I have that tint, that tint strip across the top and they don't replace the tint strip when they replace the windshield. So I'm tint stripless right now. Yeah, a free windshield replacement. That's what I want to know. Twice. I've, yeah. You, if you have full coverage in Florida, you get a new windshield. You know why? Because you can't see out of it and we're dangerous enough when we can see. I live in San Diego, and uh, I don't think we have the need for windshield insurance here. But um, when I lived in Oregon, when I had insurance with Geico, they did have, like, windshield insurance that it was replaceable, like, the first time or something. I thought that was so weird when they brought that up. I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard because I came from San Diego. And now I'm back in San Diego, and I still think it's weird. Yeah, I've never cracked a windshield before. Like, you know, I'm 32, so I've been driving 16 years. And just each of the last two years, I've cracked my windshield. And actually, my father-in-law was driving my car and my 
like sunroof shattered actually one time so i've got real bad luck with glass in this car tom what's the, what's the deal with texas do you guys have to pay for windshields there no we have a, a free i think it's 50 dollar deductible for a windshield replacement so wild okay so anyway that's just I'll, i learn stuff about canada every week um so when so uh forerunners yeah they're just incredible cars like the amount of stuff that you can put in it, we can like strap, we can strap a kayak to the top. We can, we can grab our camper. We can grab our boat. We can load it up with just tons of stuff. It's incredible how much stuff goes in there. You know, the downside, Stephen, is, you know, when we were recently furnishing the most recent short-term rentals of ours, we had to borrow a truck because generally furniture, you know, for the most part, you can stack a bunch of furniture in a truck that you can't in a forerunner. But, you know, you can't like leave your tools in the bed of the truck and stuff can get wet and things like that. So the forerunner kind of everything is protected. It's a really good size. You know, I was giving Jesse a hard time about my grandma having a, a RAV4. But, you know, my family is like, for the most part, a Toyota family, you know, there's a Tundra, there's like four Camrys, a Corolla, a Highlander, you know, the RAV4, and, you know, kind of all of it. And, you know, the forerunner is, I think, it, you know, it's just a really, really good size. Now it is a truck though. Like the Highlander, it's like, you know, unibody kind of drives more like a car, like a crossover does. Whereas, you know, the forerunner, you know, it's got a stiff suspension and things like that, but I just find it to be a really good size. My dad has a Silverado and I learned to drive on like a 1999 F-150 and a 2003 Yukon XL. And those are big. They're hard to park. They're hard to maneuver and things like that. Whereas, you know, the forerunner is just, it's perfect. It's a really short front end too, which I really like. You can kind of, it's kind of crazy how how far up you can pull to things and, and, and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just forerunners are just great cars. We just, we just love it. We load it up. We put stuff on top and on the back and on the inside and it's just a great car. That's awesome. And for those listening tonight, yes, this, this space is putting, being put on by Toyota tonight. <laughs> uh, Tom, talk to us about uh, the vehicles that you have. You haven't had a chance to have a serious scenario. Okay, so I've been very quiet for two reasons. I wanted to listen to everyone. I seem to align more with J Rod and Leandra on their thoughts on cars. I have a 2018 Nissan Rogue, which everyone on Twitter messaged me about and DM'd me about last week and told me I was a fucking idiot for buying. Uh, my and they I literally did get one DM that said that my I have 98,000 miles on it and they also told me that I drive too much but I had a long commute in 2018 and 2019 when I had a um, nine to five far away from my house my partner has a 2013 um, BMW 528 with uh, like 70,000 miles on it um, obviously I do the driving in the house um, so my Nissan Rogue started to fail right before I went to Mexico. The um, warranty is expired on it, and my transmission went out. And this morning I got a call about a $5,900 bill to fix it. Um, and then everyone on Twitter also told me I'm an idiot for fixing it. However, I just left my 9 to 5, and the last thing I want to do is buy a new $35,000 car. So I, I did okay the repair and I'm picking it up on Friday and it comes with a 12 month, 12,000 mile warranty uh, through Nissan. Um, I took it to a different dealership and to Nissan. I actually had it done at a 
transmission repair shop, but they weren't Nissan is warranting everything. So I bought my car in 2018. I worked out the deal before I got there. They tried to change the price when I got there. I looked at my husband and I said, let's just go. They came back and they're like, all right, we'll give you the deal we said we'd give you. Um, which was about $22,000. If I financed with them, it was 0.9% financing, and they gave you $750 off the purchase price. So I financed it with them, and I paid it off like two or three months afterwards because I had sold a property and I had the cash. It's been a good car up until two weeks ago. I don't think I'd ever buy another Nissan because in the thread on my post last week, everyone told me about how it's a known issue and there's class action lawsuits. And again, I'm an idiot for allowing myself to do that. And I should have spent more and bought a Toyota um, to keep J-Rod willfully employed. So um, with that being said, I have, I have just bought myself 12 months by spending this uh, $5,900 and I likely will uh, replace my car within the next 12 months. So I am not a lease fan and this experience should make me a lease fan but that's kind of when we buy cars we buy them cash and we run them down into the ground and my husband's is a, a 2013 and 70,000 miles on it and we have no plans on on upgrading or getting rid of that one right now because it's uh going strong i can't believe how mean people were about that you know there was a time when i was a kid where like the nissan maxima was like the car i don't know if anybody like remembers that where it's like everybody wanted the maxima and there were all these old maximas on the road and things like that so i don't know where nissan took a turn but something's happened in the last like 10 years or so where people are they're not about it anymore carla so sorry you've been waiting for a while nice to see you Oh, no problem at all. I'm I'm just sitting here listening and enjoying the conversation, so it's good. But Tom, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. That is mean. My goodness. So anywho, so I was just gonna say, um, for the first time in my life, I leased a car. And I knew better because I used to be the one at work telling people, you know, like like I used to work with this nurse practitioner and she used to always tell me about how she's leasing her car and she was leasing like a luxury car. And I was like, why are you doing that? You know, when you get done with the lease, you're not going to have a car. Then you're going to have to go and pay for another one and blah, 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 blah. And lo and behold. So I think what's attractive um, for leasing with people is you do get the, you do get a nice car for a smaller monthly payment. Um, so I think that's attractive um, when people are thinking about whether they want to buy or lease. And that was attractive to me. So I was like, well, let me try this out. And prior to that, you know, I had had a um, 2001 Kia Optima and it was now fast forward, this was 2017 and I had gotten into an accident. So I had my Kia for like 16 years and I had to end up getting another car uh, because, you know, with insurance companies, they totaled the car. And so I had to. I was going to have it fixed, but then the repair shop was like, they were already at over $5,000 and still saying that, oh, we're not sure if that'll do it. I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to go and get a new car. And so that's how I got to the car dealership. And so I got a lease, right? So long story short, it was a three-year lease. And I think you could get like, I think it was like 12,000 miles per year or something like that. And I didn't realize how how infrequently I drove because... um. 
I didn't, I didn't go over that within the three years. And, um, luckily when it was time for me to figure out if I wanted to buy the car or release, you know, or lease another car, uh, we were in the pandemic. It was 2020. I was able to get in before all of this hiking up these cars and interest rates and stuff like that. So I got a pretty good interest. I think it was like maybe 2.5 or something like that interest rate. And when I went to buy the car, it was like, um, I think they give it to you for half of what it would cost for new for a new car. So I think it was like $15,000 or something like that, that I had to buy the car for. But the trick is, is when you get ready to buy the car, buy the car, the loan starts over. Like you don't start from like, I was leasing a car for three years. You don't start at the fourth year or start at the third year. You have to go back to year one. So that's yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Good. Can I add something? So, Carla, terrific points, and thank you for sharing all that. That was, that was great. Um, so, um, many of you will know that I mine Ethereum, uh, and my car payment is six hundred and eighty dollars. For the cost of $10,000, I can build a mining rig that'll offset that payment entirely. And there's the potential that it could go, go even higher than that as well, too. So the Ethereum price increases, my ability to cover that car payment gets easier and easier as uh, as Ethereum appreciates or does well. I'm not trying to plug, hey, you should mine Ethereum. What I'm trying to say here is... Maybe instead of saying, hey, I'm going to go buy a $50,000 car or twenty dollars or $30,000 car, what if I could get a super low interest rate and I could take that same capital, if you had it, the thirty dollars or $40,000 and put that into an income-producing asset that could more than offset the car payment? Uh, there's, there's opportunities out there. And I think if you get creative, you can find some ways in which you can say, hey, like, I've, you know, my, my truck is worth about $70,000. And I have a $10,000 asset that's offsetting the payment on it month over month over month. And so just want to put that out there that there could be opportunities to offset with cash flowing assets. Yeah, that's a good point. That's like rich dad, poor dad 101, right? I think he talks about, I think as an example is my wife wants a new Mercedes. I got to go buy a, a rental property property that cash flows enough to make the payment on the Mercedes. So yours would be a kind of a lower barrier to entry for sure to do that. So yeah, that, that makes so, a ton of like, sense. Yeah, like with Tom, right? Like you got access to incredible properties in in the rental markets that you're in. You would, I would, I would assume that you would always want to buy a rental property versus a car. And I, I guess I, the counter argument to this is, well, just buy a cheap, cheap, cheap used car. But I remember in 2013 when I'm like, I could buy a car or I could buy a condo that's going to cash flow me $400 a month. What would you do? Would you rather keep going with that car that's like J-Rod's where it has 200,000 plus miles? Or would you buy a $13,000 condo that makes you $400 a month? So I, I remember doing that several times along the way because that, you know, that condo was still making me money up until last year when I sold it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I'm going to be a quick hater here and get myself never invited back. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to mention like money is fungible and opportunity costs are fungible. So 
the idea, like, so Richard, Richard hold Kiyosaki, on, right? Hold on, hold on, hold on. What do you mean? I, I love that. I want you to go into that further. What do you mean by opportunity costs are fungible? Yeah. So, so the idea of money being fungible just means, you know, a dollar, a dollar spent on a car is the same exact dollar that you could be spending anywhere else. You could be spending it on a house to cash flow. You could be investing in the stock market. Like dollars for dollars, it's all it's all fungible. It's all fungible just means uh, replaceable and alike. And I guess just the point I'm trying to make, and to some extent I'm making it on the fly, but I, I know that the math makes sense in my head. So I'll see if I can get it to make sense for you guys is like that Kiyosaki story of, oh, my, my wife wants a Mercedes. Therefore, I will go buy a house that cash flows that Mercedes. It's like, I understand the math there, but you could just not buy the house at all. Take that money that you would buy the house. And I, I understand he's using leverage in that situation. But all I'm saying is that it, to buy a Mercedes, which on its face is not a terrific long-term investment, uh, it doesn't magically become forgivable because you can buy a cash flowing asset that pays for that Mercedes. Buy the cash flowing asset and do something else with the money. Does that kind of make sense? Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 okay. I, I, absolutely, I absolutely love it. And I, I want, um, did you think of that opportunity cost as fungible on the fly? Or have you thought of that before? I'm sure it's been rattling around in my brain for a while, Stephen. But I think, those I think are the... that's absolute gold, man. Like, Thank you. If you you should dig into that further. Like, there's there, there has to be some truth to that. Now, when you say that's absolute gold, I assume what you mean is that a, that's absolute Ethereum. It's like <laughs> we, we don't. I know you don't really invest in gold. I, I don't. You're right. You, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm trying to say, though. But yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. But like for me, for me, my, my incremental decision was well. I can, I can build these mining rigs that will more than offset the cost of this truck. So why wouldn't I do it? I need a truck. Uh, I want to have a nice, reliable one. Um, yeah, I like the bells and whistles. I like that it has cooled seats and drives like a race car. I absolutely love it. Um, it looks good. Um, but And I'm able to offset it easily. Like... <sighs> Do you, know what, do you know what I mean? It's like if you had totally. a, if you had a business opportunity and you're like, well, I have a hundred thousand dollars to to invest into a business, uh, you would always pick that investment into, into into your business to make the cash flow to offset whatever luxury item. I know what you're saying, and, and going against the Kiyosaki uh, argument there, you're right. But at the same time, my incremental decision was well. I don't want to put any money into that truck at all. I don't want to have any capital tied up. I need to have a truck for renovations, for flipping homes, for towing trailers. And in my mind, the cheapest way for me to get that truck that I needed uh, was to do what I did. Now, I guess, you know, the counter argument is, well, just go buy a used Tundra for you know ten thousand dollars whatever stuff like that but i just well i, I don't know even, for me it was a no-brainer but i think what we're getting at is it wasn't actually a cheap way for you to do it because you spent the money that you made on it so 
it it in the grand scheme of things in your mind cost you less because you're like, well, I generated that income from a from a passive activity. But I think what what I'm hearing from Jesse and I think Lauren, you may sometimes think this way, and I, I know Tom, you may as well, is anyone anytime someone tells me about a big expenditure, like I have a friend who likes nice watches. And one of the challenges for me is I always think about that in terms of real estate down payment, right? So if, if someone buys a nice truck and they put 40 grand down, I'm like, that's an apartment. If someone spends a hundred grand on something, I'm like, that's a townhouse. Like that's just yeah. the way I'm wired. And it makes it harder and harder for me to spend money on things, despite having the car, Jesse, because I hadn't learned that shit yet. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. What what Clint just said is right, which is like, Steve, you want to put $10,000 in a mining rig, and that's a terrific investment. You want to buy this really nice truck, which is not an ideal investment. No, it's not. Just Dude. because you're making just because you're making a terrific investment over here in your mining rig doesn't change whether the truck is good or bad. It just it it changes the overall balance of your choices, which I totally understand. But yeah. if you evaluate every choice on its own merits, they are Yes, I, I hear you. Oh perfect, yeah. yes. Okay, yeah. Evaluate it on its own merits, independent of the opposite or the counterbalance. I got it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's all. Love That's it. all. And but at the end of the day, I'm certainly not spend shaming. Like, go buy the nice truck. Like totally, totally do that. Um it's just a matter of, you know, that whole I think what triggered me was the Kiyosaki thing. Let's be honest. I think I got triggered, and I think I just I didn't. Just... That that was uh, Lauren brought that up. I didn't bring that up. I know <laughs> I know not to bring up drifters around you. We haven't even talked about Kramer tonight. My uncle, come Jim. on, the, the whole book isn't garbage just because the guy is. Give me a break, um, Jared. I'm going to go to you real quickly. I thought I might tell you guys a story about a terrible car decision that I made. And Jesse, maybe this will help you out as you're thinking about getting a nicer car. Um, and there's actually some nuggets in here too. Um, David, who I think some of us follow, we saw recently that his car was totaled and I kind of told him this story and he was able to get a little more money out of his totaled car from it. So maybe there's some nuggets here, but um, in 2016, actually April 22nd, 2016. So coming up on the anniversary here, I was sandwiched on the Howard Franklin Bridge in Tampa and my car was totaled. And this was like my first car. Like it was my second car. It was the first one I ever bought myself, right? And it's this like beautiful Acura and, and whatever. And so like I was injured and stuff. So that's like one thing. But the other side of it is like they also totaled my car and like they weren't going to total it at first. So this is just like some tips maybe. And I don't, I don't know how this works up in the great north, but if they if it hits past a certain threshold, it doesn't have to be like so my car is worth like seventeen grand. It didn't have to be seventeen grand worth of damage from the total it. And at first, when they found the then they added up the damages, it was eleven thousand dollars. And they were like, "Yeah, we would total it at twelve, but we only found eleven. And I was like, "Bro, go look more." And then he found like another thousand dollars worth of damage, and they totaled my car because in Florida they don't give you anything for the depreciated value. Once your your car it has this you know accident on its record, and so something else that I did was I complained, and I was like I put new tires on the car like two months ago. 
here's the receipt. And then they gave me like the $700 for the tires as well. So just something to think about a couple kind of, I think kind of smart moves I made there, which I immediately wiped out by buying a BMW because like I was like injured and I was depressed, like in every sense of the word. And I was like, I don't make myself, I'll feel better if I have a BMW, which is stupid. And don't get me wrong, Tom, love this for your husband. I loved that car. Like it was amazing. The rear wheel drive, like you couldn't spin that thing out. It would lay it down and just go love that car. Right. And it didn't have like touchscreen or anything, which I thought was awesome. And, but the problem was, and Jesse, this is why I'm saying this for you is like, I felt like an asshole. Like every time I walked up to that car and people saw me getting into BMW, I'm like, they think I am something that I am not right. Like it just kind of felt wrong as much as I loved that car. Best part about it was the automatic windshield wipers, by the way, which my cord does not have, but you know, it was, it was a really cool car. I loved that car. If I'm ever like super wealthy, I'll probably go back and get a BMW when I actually am an asshole or something, but it just never felt right to me. And part of that was, I think I had to make a split decision. You know, you know what car I wanted? I wanted my Acura TSX. That's what I wanted. And, you know, I couldn't have it because it was sandwiched and it was gone. And the bright side was, you know, I drove it for two years and got out of it what I paid for it, and, you know, including the tires and stuff. So I drove for free for two years and then I drove the BMW. And this is when I was like, okay, they're going to give me $17,000 for my car. I should take the $17,000 and buy a $17,000 car. But I didn't. I bought a $29,000 BMW, right? That was like, I was the first one titled to me. It was one of those loaners or whatever. But I was like, I justified it to myself because I was like, it's 0.9% interest. Like, who cares? Whatever. And then I had this $266 car payment for a couple of years. And I just, I hated the car payment every month. I ended up hating the car. I felt like a, just a douche every time I got into it. And so finally, I traded the BMW in for my, you know, 2018 Honda Accord. And then I put the difference on a credit card and paid the credit card off one month later so I could get the points. So I have no car payment. I have a Honda Accord, which suits me much better. It has front wheel drive. So sometimes I spin it out, but <laughs> you spin the wheels, not spin it out. Sometimes I spin the wheels a little bit, but just some, just, I hope somebody, some people can get some nuggets there about, you know, it's okay to kind of push the people to total your car. It's okay to, you know, if you had anything big, like big done to it, send them the receipt, get a little more for that car. It's almost kind of like a trade. Um, I also was able to get some tax credit when I bought the BMW as if I had traded in that car as well. So just some just some tidbits there. But also if you get in a car accident, you get your car totaled, you know, try not to act emotionally, try not to buy something that you think is going to make you feel better when the only thing that can make you feel better is chiropractors, massages, stretching and exercise, you know. All right. I think we have. Thank you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Just wanted to say thank you for that. I'm glad you're feeling better. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Took about five years and antidepressants, but we're here. Okay. So let's see. We have maybe some questions, I think. I have a question for Leandra. Uh, with the auction, you said you went to a dealership who buys the cars from auction. Can you go through a little bit that? Well, that is like, why Why are they giving them from an auction? Why was the Jaguar that you got, why was it at auction? Was it damaged or just kind of that process there? Uh, yeah, I missed the second question that you asked, but I I would typically just go to dealerships that sell u- mostly used, and I would ask where they get their cars from. And I just happened to find a dealership that bought their cars specifically from auctions. 
And the people who are selling them at auctions are the people who can no longer afford their payments usually. So the girl who bought my car bought it for like the, the nearly 80K price, fully loaded, and then couldn't make the payment. And to get rid of it as quickly as possible, she chose to sell it at an auction. I don't know if she like sold it to a dealership first who took it to an auction. I don't think so. I think it went direct. She just sold it directly to an auction. And then um, a dealership will usually go in and, and buy it. Um, and then they can resell it. So I just I just look for places that buy used from auctions. Yeah, I, uh, it's a popular thing in, in my area as well that people will buy vehicles directly from the auction house. Uh, so mm-hmm. those who are listening, you might have an opportunity to do that. The car I had before my truck actually, I did buy from an auction. Um, it had been damaged, bought it at a really good price, fixed it up, drove it for six months, and I was able to sell it for a profit. Uh, granted, that was during the pandemic, so I had to do a lot with the used car squeeze that we had. But there could be opportunities in your area to, to buy a vehicle at auction as well, go direct right to the auction house. So I was just curious, Leandro, just how your relationship with the, you know, the auctioning and buying at auction or with the dealership and stuff like that, how that all worked for you. Yeah. The reason I don't buy directly from the auction is because I don't want to pay cash up front. Um, I had, I could have just gone to the auction and paid cash up front, but with the interest rate being so low and me not really knowing how to navigate at an auction, like I think that I would get stressed out at an auction, but, um, for me, like with the interest rate, I financed it at 1.99% for 72 months. It just made more sense for me to, to buy it that way than go to an auction and pay cash. Um, I'd rather invest my money in the stock market than do that. So um, that's why I chose that. But I have done like car flips. Like I have purchased cars and I kind of did it, um, Stephen, what you just mentioned. Like I did buy it kind of during that squeeze where I would buy – Forerunners specifically up in the LA area, and I live in San Diego, but I would buy them up in the LA area. They are very popular here in San Diego. They are very sought after by all the surfer boys. Um, and so I would basically go up to LA, pick it up, drive it down, and sell them within 24. I didn't have to do anything to them. I, I would just buy them and resell them right away. Um, I could sell them in like less than 24 hours down here. So it was a matter of, it was a little side hustle I did during COVID when. The I had it like right at the beginning of COVID where it made sense. Um, so I would just buy them cheaper up in LA, drive them down for two hours, and then uh, just resell them here in San Diego. But uh, I didn't do that at an auction. I just did it from random people on Facebook Marketplace. That's awesome. That's a really good tip. Yeah, because most areas will have kind of like a a particular car or vehicle that's popular to that area. Like here where I live, it's all about trucks. And so you can buy and sell trucks like they're candy here. Uh, so cool to know down in San Diego, there's a good forerunner market. Um, and yeah, there might be an opportunity there for us. We could do some arbitrage where find a place where they sell the vehicle and demand for your area, then flip it. Easy to do. Yeah, easy peasy. Just drive it for two hours and then flip it in an hour, in an hour or two after you get it, right? Take some pictures and put it on the marketplace. Yeah, sometimes I just reuse the pictures that they had up on Marketplace. <laughs> no way. 
Awesome. Most of the time, that's what yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, right. Just yeah, and that would get you like what one or two grand. Yep, just one or two grand. But I mean, one or two yeah. grand for a couple hours ain't so bad. Oh, it sounded a little like you were picking on surfer boys, though. Was that was that a stereotype <laughs> that you were throwing down there? Oh no, I'm a surfer girl. Um, so no, I mean the surfer boys are fine. They're just not people I would date. So I would just take their money. That's all. <laughs> I'm just messing. (laughs) I I love this. Now we're having fun. Let's dig into this. (laughs) What's wrong with surfer boys? Oh, they're just not good for dating. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like they'll just go from one girl in a bikini to the next girl in a bikini pretty quickly. So I would say that they're not very honest. Um, They're not driven. Most of them have very poor career choices. Um, sometimes I think that they like their forerunners more than they like the women that they're dating. So they might choose their car over the girl. Um, yeah, I just don't really find them to be anything. Their, their conversations are, are poor. They're not riveting. And, um, I mean, all they can talk about is like how they got barreled that day versus like any sort of deep conversation of childhood trauma or something that could remotely fascinate me. (laughs) Okay, well, hold on. Now, I'm I'm a prairie <laughs> guy up here north. What does it mean to get barreled? Because up here, that means something oh. totally different. <laughs> oh, uh, getting barreled means, like, when you're in a wave and, like, the wave is, like, covering you. So, like, you're in a barrel, like, in a water barrel. So, it's just, like, it's like a surfing thing when, like, you catch a really big wave and you're, like, inside the wave. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Because up here, it's very derogatory to get barreled. Oh, my bad. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I don't know what it means. <laughs> well, they, they, they actually oh, put you inside a barrel. Yeah, they, oh, they put you inside a barrel, yeah. It's not, it's it's, not fun. And then there's probably cows or bulls involved <laughs> and, it, and horses. It's Steve, Steve's in cowboy land. Yeah, Paul may have heard of that and, in Texas. Yeah, that's why trucks and stuff are popular up here. Got it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. All right, so in our next next week on Spaces, we're going to dig a little further into surfer boys and girls, I guess. That was funny. Um, Tom, what's the popular car in your area? You're Because you're in Dallas and Toledo, Ohio, right? Yeah, yeah. In, in Dallas, everybody drives a truck. I mean, it's just the right of – you just have to in Texas. It's part of – I do not drive a truck, which is probably why I need a transmission. But that's that's the Texas automobile. Any kind of truck. And you guys, like, like, this is getting a little really specific and nuanced, but the trucks down there are mainly two-wheel drives? Or are they four-by-fours? I don't know. Okay, all right. Probably two-wheel drive. That's pretty much what everything is in Florida anyways. Um, yeah. And in Florida, every everybody down in Tampa, at least, they're all driving, you know, crossovers left and right, left, right, center, crossovers everywhere. And Coach Clint, in your area, is it still Lambos and Porsches? Yeah, the the best part, and there's no joke about this, the – so. In, in our province now, they have one of those graduated licensing systems. So you know when someone's a new driver because they have an N on the back of their car. And all the time you see like Lambos, 
McLarens, you know, just keep going down the laundry list, driving by you. And like you purposely turn to look at the back to see if there's an M stuck to it. Like, it's just ludicrous, Steven. Like you go to university and there's kids pulling into the school parking lot in Lambos. Like it's just nut, nut jobby. It's absolutely insane. How, it, it, how, you and you guys have all the dealerships down there. I've I've heard of guys out here that have to drive to Vancouver to get oil changes for for their Ferraris because that's the only that's the closest dealership that they that we have. It, it's incredible what you guys have out there. It, like maybe LA has more, and San Francisco would have more Lambos than you guys. I would I would assume they do. Yes, and the I, I mean I think a lot of it is a few things. We have a fair amount of, of real estate wealth that people have made over time. And then we also have a large influx of capital from mainland China that's made its way to Vancouver. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, students with uh, those cars are getting them from, is, is money from back home. A lot of parents trying to say, hey, how do I get my money, my money out of the country? and send it away with my kids so that, you know, the government, that's one of the benefits of living in Canada or the U.S. We don't really have to worry about the government just stepping in and being like, hey, your wealth is gone. So what we see with a lot of people that move here from mainland China is they're constantly trying to figure out how do I get my money out of my country and into your country. And specifically, a lot of them target Vancouver as a, as a place to live, which also has a significant impact on our uh, home prices, which is why they introduced foreign buyer taxes, right? So, uh, uh, probably a much deeper, longer conversation <laughs> than, than just you know Lambos. And, right. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, we're closing up here. I did want to give Jesse an opportunity to tell us the results of his meditation with his inner child, and if he had a chance to decide what his next car is going to be. I'll be honest with you. I like the look of the 2022 RAV4. The new RAV4s look nice. Uh, just similar cars to that, kind of like the midsize SUV that might be a twenty-five to $30,000 car. And uh, it's clean looking. It's not rusty. And if a client doesn't like the fact that it's not a Mercedes, then they, they can find a way to deal with that. That's not my problem. It's not my child's problem. My inner child told me that it's okay. Are you going hybrid or are you going ice engine? Oh, that's a good question, actually. So, I mean, uh, probably hybrid. I'll probably go as green as green as I can manage. Plug-in? Plug is this plug-in hybrid or is this like just straight normal, whatever the previous hybrid was? My inner child doesn't know, Stephen. I'm sorry. We'll have to oh, get to you on that one. So we, have, we so we got some research to do on this. Does anyone on the pat? Well, I guess well, Clinton has his uh, his wife has the Model Y. Does anyone else have a hybrid on here, or are we all gas engines? Any diesels? J Rod, do you have a diesel? No. Yes, yeah, You don't have a Corolla diesel. <laughs> <laughs> mumbling under his breath. He's gonna have words with me after. Why ask me all your questions at the end of your spaces? All right, Lauren, I'll turn it back to you. I think we're gonna close out here. Or... Yeah, I think we're good. We're basically right at time. And uh, like this was this was fun. I actually like 
I think we had some pretty good conversation, pretty good jabs at each other. So that's good. That's always fun. We'll have to, you know, off mic, talk about whether Jesse can come back or not someday. Um, Leandro, thank you so much for joining us. Jesse, you too. And, and Jared, thanks for popping up here. We're here every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And just subtract an hour going back for all of the other time zones. That's it. I don't really have any closing remarks. We'll see you guys next week.